How you doing, Brian? Well, we have been living through some topsy-turvy times, my friend. It's, uh, we're, we sure we're have. We're doing this recording on March 26th of 2020, and we are right in the throes of pandemic outbreak. It's been uh, a little scary uh, how quickly uh, the medical crisis has been escalating. I know, and we, we've just been recording episodes away, haven't we? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we really have. Well, well we, we've got a, a great episode for, for everyone today. We've got uh, Captain Holly Weaver of the United States Army. And she's a nurse uh, who uh, really, you know, sought out the medical profession uh, as her first step in her career. And uh, that swiftly led into uh, her career in the U.S. Army, uh, where she has continued to uh, elevate her uh, focus on leadership skills, one that is uh, one that Nick and I have cited many times uh, as critical, which is empathy. And uh, all of what get characterized as soft skills uh, and that we commonly refer to as essential skills are key components of what she shares with us today. It's a great episode and uh, stick with us for uh, some of the points that Holly summarizes for us uh, in a presentation that she's developed that uh, is well worth a listen. Yeah. With that, let's uh, just get on to the show. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Lead.exe. I'm Brian Comerford in Denver, Colorado. And I'm Nicholas Zona in Washington, D.C. And today we're joined by special guest Captain Holly Weaver, who is a U.S. Army medical nurse and uh, talent acquisition director. Holly, welcome to the program. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's really an honor to be here with you all today, virtually yep. here. <laughs> I know. That's thanks right. for coming. Yeah, we are social distancing, right? Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, clearly. Well, first of all, thank you for your service and thank you for joining us as well during a time that uh, is especially challenging no matter what industry you're in. But I imagine for someone who's both in the medical, medical field as well as a military service branch, uh, you've uh, likely had your hands full. It has definitely been an interesting time. Um, I will say that my current job, I work for the United States Army Recruiting Command, and um, so I'm in charge of finding uh, the future talent of the Army Medical Department, whether it be physicians, nurses, dentists, psychiatrists, um, anyone that has a bachelor's degree or beyond that is a medical professional that we need for the Army. So I am very fortunate enough that I'm able to do my job virtually. So I have been teleworking from home, um, and actually all of the United States Army Recruiting Command is teleworking, so we're doing virtual appointments, and we're very um, lucky to have a system that is capable of us being able to work anywhere in the world, Um, and so it doesn't... I don't have to be sitting in an office to do my job. It does feel a little bit weird. I will say this. It does feel a little bit weird to be a nurse and to not be engaged with the patient care aspect in this time because, you know, normally um, I've had several jobs throughout my career where I have been a bedside nurse and I would be actively doing something. So it does feel weird not being involved in that part, but I know that what I'm doing in my job is a long-term payoff of getting that future talent to take care of our future warfighters. 
Well, again, thank you for all that you're doing. And it's uh, critically important at this time, uh, not only for your own service branch, but uh, across the board. It's, uh, you know, I've got a good friend who's a member of Doctors Without Borders. And um, I mean, it's the, the demand is always high for medical personnel during normal times and uh, during a time of crisis. It's, uh, it's honestly been a bit alarming seeing uh, how rapidly the coronavirus uh, health crisis has escalated and what the demand on medical needs has become. Absolutely. I mean, Army medicine is always looking for qualified professionals, but now more than ever, you know, we need people that have that call to serve. They're already serving their country as a medical professional because not everyone can um not everyone wants to take that call and not everyone has the empathy and the compassion that it takes to care for people every day. So we're, you know, there are medical professionals. They're already, they already have a higher calling to do, to do that job. And it, it really takes a special person to want to be a medical professional and be a medical professional in the army or in any branch. Um, but we're always looking and, um, you know, we hope that we find uh, the best candidates that want to serve their nation in uniform. So, Well, thank you. And tell us a little bit about your background. What, uh, what was initially your interest in pursuing a medical career and how did that lead you into the Army? My, um, I originally was a nanny in high school and for a very large family with a lot of different special needs. And at that time, I thought I wanted to go into hospitality because I liked cooking and entertaining others and taking care of people. But then after working with this very large family and seeing how rewarding it was to take care of their children and especially their children um, that were um, that had cerebral palsy and I had to provide almost like nursing care, um, you know, as a 16, 17, 18 year old. And doing that made me realize that I wanted to actually care for people in a capacity way beyond um, in hospitality, because that's a very surface level taking care of people. I mean, it's still, you know, a, um, mm-hmm. a great job to go into, but I just knew that I wanted to actually um, make a difference in people's lives. And Um, So I made that decision probably like my senior year in high school that I knew that I wanted to be a nurse and um, very fortunate to um, go to Grayson University. It's a small private school in Iowa, and um, I'm actually now a member of their board of directors, which is pretty cool. Ten plus plus years later, bringing (laughs) bringing it back. Um, That's great. Their nursing campus is in Independence, Missouri, which is actually very close by where my parents live. So that worked out great. And um, while I was in sitting in nursing class, an Army recruiter gave a presentation on opportunities in Army, Army medicine. And honestly, at that time, it never occurred to me to be a medical professional in the Army. And I obviously you know, knew about different opportunities in the army, but I didn't ever think of army nursing as being something that I could do or something, you know, that I would be necessarily interested in, but seeing his presentation and all of the 
different opportunities, same as Captain Dial, all the different opportunities that Captain Dial had gone through. And just the chance to travel, to serve my country, you know, to give back. My grandpa, who was my personal hero, um, served a couple years in the Army. And so it was almost like I felt like I could do that to kind of give back to him, in a sense, for everything he had done for me. And um, so it was just kind of a lot of reasons. Of course, my parents thought I was crazy at first. (laughs) Um, But... You know, because I think every parent's first thought is just, you know, I don't want you to deploy or what are the chances of you deploying and, um, you know, I don't want you to die and that kind of thing. Hmm. What my parents yeah. still, you know, um, kind of fail to realize um, is just that I'm a nurse in the Army. I'm not an infantryman. And even... If I deploy or when I deploy, I'll be providing nursing care in a hospital. Um, so it's, you know, not like I'm on the front lines or anything like that. Um, obviously, there still is danger. But so long story short, I decided, hey, I really want to do this. I was 22. I was single. Um, the program that they had was an amazing deal. They actually don't even offer it anymore because... It was such a great deal, but I I received a bonus and a stipend while I was in nursing school. And then after I graduated, I would receive my commission. And so went through that, of course. Um, So I ended up being one of 10 that were selected um, nationwide. I am the type of person I go all in on everything. And I, especially at work, I'm very type A. I'm very driven. I just, I seek opportunities and I make opportunities if they're not there. And so that's kind of how I approach the situation because um, after I graduated, there was like a little bit of downtime between getting my orders and leaving. So I ended up getting a nursing job for six months at a civilian hospital. So when I started this program, because they put all the new nurses in this program to kind of you know, get like a mentorship and then you're not, um, just flapping in the wind, I guess you could say. Um, and it's six months long. So I was really ahead of my peers because they, their only nursing experience was in the clinicals in college in nursing school. And I had this six months of experience in civilian healthcare is completely different from military healthcare in the sense of staffing ratios, Civilian, you know, um, facilities, they're obviously more worried about the bottom line and making more money. So I took care of a lot more patients that were more critical um, because the population isn't as healthy. So I showed up at Brooke Army Medical Center in San Antonio and, you know, the average patient population is much healthier. The, The patient to staff ratio, it's, you know, a lot less. So I was like, wow, this is a breeze, which was great because I dove right in and I focused on my leadership skills and I started creating opportunities. I started a wellness program on the unit that I worked on, which had 82 staff members. I led PT um, and I ended up being recognized at the time by the chief of the Army Nurse Corps, um, Major General Keenan, who's now retired, but that was really cool. So it was just like a lot of really cool opportunities that I 
I kind of took advantage of and went after at the beginning of my career when I was a second lieutenant. And that really set me up for when I went and had the talk with the head nurse at the hospital, Colonel Evans, and said, you know, I want to talk about my career and, and so on and so forth. And both, you know, oh, by the way, I'd really like to move back to Kansas. <laughs> and because of all the hard work that I did, um, I also was really involved in patient safety and was on several committees and teams and did a lot of projects that helped increase patient safety as well, which in a hospital is a really big deal. And so because he already knew who I was and he had seen a lot of the things that I had done, he was like, oh, yeah, like I'll write you a recommendation um, to your branch manager. So for the Army, you have a branch manager that, um, you know, is in charge of doing your moves and stuff like that. So he wrote a letter saying, um, you know, Captain Weaver, she is uh, – or at the time, I guess I was Lieutenant Eichelhart. Lieutenant Eichelhart <laughs> – is a you know top performer she's done these different things for the organization she would really like to get stationed closer to her fiance in either fort leavenworth fort riley or fort leonard wood which are the three closest duty stations to where david was in kansas city so she responded back and said that they had opportunities either at fort riley which was is two hours from Kansas City or Fort Leonard Wood, which is four. So of course I jumped at Fort Riley because <laughs> two is way better than four. And um, so I only ended up being in San Antonio for about two years. When I was at Fort Riley, I had the opportunity to work labor and delivery, which was hands down the most rewarding experience. Um, being there, um, you know, for service member. And dependents, um, their spouses, births, um, and generally labor and delivery. It's a very happy place. So that was very rewarding. And it was really interesting because when I um, was at BMC, I worked on a medical surgical floor and I took care of people that were at the end of their life. So I... Um, and I mean, it was like a variety of patients, but there's one patient in particular that I remember that was a service member's um, spouse and she was dying of cancer. And I was one of the last people that took care of her before she passed away. And, you know, of course, that was like one of the more harder experiences in my life as a nurse, but still so rewarding to be there and to provide that support and care. And then... On the flip side, then to be there also at the start of someone's life is pretty special too. So I was at Fort Riley for about a year and a half. And in the meantime, David and I got married and um, we um, actually got pregnant on our honeymoon with our first child. <laughs> so that was kind of, <laughs> kind of quick. Um, yeah. but we, um, you know, we're really excited and, um, I kind of the same story. I went and talked to, um, the chief nurse who was my senior writer. So my boss's boss and told him my situation about, you know, I would like to, you know, maybe, get a job that's at least during the daytime because I worked nights, weekends, call, um, you know, the most 
unideal shift for a new mom that's you know that's has that's husband is two hours away and um you know what a lot of people kind of would say would be um well he could just move to fort riley no he can't because he has a career with the police department and it's not like he can just up and move to a different police department because his retirement is from the city so if he walks away then he loses everything um so i think that a lot of people didn't really understand that but um colonel mcdougall you know he um i didn't really know him because he was new but he looked at all of my previous records and everything that i had done and he was like wow you know you've really accomplished a lot in a short time and I want to support you. And he was like, I think, you know, we have a job for you in hospital education or the PACU where it's days. You could go home on the weekends and that kind of thing. Two days later is when I got the email from my branch manager saying you have orders to go to Fort Leavenworth. And that was, I, I mean, I'm not joking. I, I just was like, is this my computer? Like, is this my email right now? Is this happening? Because I was completely blindsided in the absolute best way. Um, just because I, I didn't think it was possible. Typical army moves are two to three years. I'd been there 14 months, maybe. Um, so it was just, it was wild. It was crazy. Um, so I went, immediately went down to his office and I broke all military bearing and I just went up to him and gave him the biggest bear hug. I was like, oh, sorry, probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> but I said, you like don't even understand how much you just changed my life. Um, and, you know, now I know like that my future with the army is secured and then also like my future with my family. Um, so he truly showed me what empathy was, um, you know, just like he he connected with me and he got to know me and he knew that family was so important to me and that David had a job that he wouldn't be able to move. And so, um, he explained it to me that if he didn't try and help me, you know, I'm a, like, he, he said, you know, you're smart. You could get a job anywhere. He said, if I don't try and help you, it's going to end up being, you know, you're going to be commuting back and forth all the time. You're going to have a small child. You know, you're going to, you're going to end up getting tired of all of what you have to do in the army because it's going to be inconvenient all the time. And, um, so he's like, I didn't want to say anything until I knew that I could get you to Fort Leavenworth, but I wanted to see if I could do that for you and your family. And then, you know, you would want to stay in the army. And, um, from that day forward, I would say I considered him a mentor and someone that I really looked up to just because of how willing he was to go to bat for me and how much he was willing to support me and my family. So since then, I've gotten to know his family. He knows my family. He promoted me um, when I um, got promoted to captain. He came over from Fort Riley to Fort Leavenworth. And I actually just talked to him yesterday. He's stationed in Germany. Um, wow. So it's just kind of, um, I have two mentors. And 
um, the other mentor I'll, I'll tell you all about later, but, um, it was just like that one thing that he did showing the empathy and compassion and just like connecting with me that I think I just like, I latched on to him because just like, you don't come across leaders like that all the time. And he truly did change my life. So that was pretty amazing. Um, this is not really a quick overview of my background. <laughs> no, it's, I, okay. it's in depth. <laughs> it is fairly in depth. I, I, I will commend you, though, for, you know, I think undertaking the first step in leadership, uh, at least as I see it, which is to have the self-discipline and the self-direction really to set a path uh, that has been, you know, under your own uh leadership in terms of what your career development has been. So, uh, and it sounds like there have been many blessings along the way as well. Absolutely. I guess I'll just jump back really quick and tell you about, about my other mentor before I'm like too far into my life. <laughs> um, but I mentioned that my grandpa was my personal hero and one of the driving forces of why I decided to um, apply and become an officer in the army. Well, shortly after commissioning and I had only been in the army for a couple months and I was in that nurse training program that I was telling you all about, he actually, um, he hadn't been doing well for a while, but he had fallen ill and was getting ready to pass away. And at the time, um, I met with my senior rater, um, and she, so they typically have a policy during this training program that you're not allowed to take vacation or leave. Um, and so she, um, made an exception and said that, you know, she wanted to support me and I really needed to take the time and go be with my family. So that's what I did. And, um, guess what? She's my mentor as well. And I still keep in touch with her too, because, um, you know, we just had that connection. She took the time to find out, you know, that family was very important to me and that she knew that that was such a critical thing, um, for me to go home and be there for, to be there with my family as we put my grandpa to rest. And, um, I just found out about a month ago when I was talking to her on the phone, she said that when she was in a similar training program, she was about my age, her dad passed away and her leadership gave her a really hard time and she wasn't able to have the time that she gave me. So she basically said, you know, she wasn't shown the compassion and the empathy and it really hurt when she needed it. And so she wanted to make sure that she did that. She didn't do the same thing that was done to her. And she did it the way that it should be done. So it's pretty amazing um, that, you know, maybe a small act to her was very life-changing and was impactful enough that I wanted to continue to seek her advice. She's now retired, but we keep in touch at least monthly or a couple times a month. And, um, you know, she just shared that with me just recently. And this was almost eight years ago, seven years ago that this happened. So it's pretty, pretty phenomenal. But so, yeah, I have two mentors and um, we both kind of both of my mentors and I just had that connection of they did something that might have seemed small to them was but changed my life forever. And I'll never forget. So it's pretty cool. 
It's remarkable that empathy is at the core of both of those mentorship relationships. It's it's additionally remarkable that uh, the second mentor you just described to us uh, was able to find herself in a place where she could stay on a career path uh, in a place where she did not receive the same degree of empathy. Uh, whereas the you know the first mentor you described uh, ultimately helped create retention for you. Uh, in the army, uh, you know, it's it's remarkable that there wasn't a loss of retention uh, in your second mentor's case when when her leadership lacked the the type of empathy that you've just described that was so important in your leadership development. Absolutely, and unfortunately, I don't think it's just an army problem. I think it's a people problem in general <laughs> that people just lack empathy in general and a lot of times um, people are very quick to give sympathy but sympathy is very short-lived and um, when people are going through stress and hard times and having different issues for whatever reason and whether they're grieving um, or you know they're depressed or they've um, are just going through a life event you know um, sympathy almost feels belittling and it just it only makes the person giving it feel better truly and I didn't fully realize that until later on in my life but um, that's a great distinction it is truly a huge difference and doing a lot of self-reflection um, this past year um, has really um, helped hone in why, you know, why did I, um, want Colonel Sturm from BMC, you know, why did I want her as a mentor and why did I connect with her so much after, you know, she supported me after my grandpa died and why did I connect so much with Colonel McDougal and want him as my mentor. And really I haven't done that with anyone else throughout my entire career. You know, I've had great bosses. I've worked for so many great people. Um, and you know, I've made a ton of friendships, but those are the two officers, the two men, like true mentors that I could say I could call up anytime and I could ask some life advice, career advice. Um, and it, it all comes back to because of their empathy and their compassion and their connection that, that we had. So it's pretty, pretty phenomenal. I really like that. And it, we're talking about empathy and you're talking about it from, from the military standpoint when most people's experience, I mean, it's not their experience there. What, what they're expecting when they think of military, they think of the movies, right? You know, the, the company commander yelling at them to go charge this hill or this machine gun nest with no empathy whatsoever, right? That's a, that's what most people think. And it's, it's awesome to see, you know, that the military is just like every other place um, in, in leadership. You know, it, it's that saying, right, that bad leaders are fairly common and good leaders are rare. Um, it, it's just one of those things. So let's, let's just tap that empathy a little bit. Um, cause I noticed that you were a company commander before now, those first experiences you had with your mentors and they were, you know, leading with empathy, did that had a big impact on you? Did that help you, um, later on in your career as you went up through the ranks at, as a company commander? Absolutely. So, um, I have a few, experiences um that i've gone through um in my career where i had to show empathy and um honestly 
my first experience is right before I became a company commander is my job right before. And I actually competed for company command twice. I didn't get it the first time. I was a first lieutenant and I was so eager. I was just like, yes, like I was recommended to compete for this company command. I'm like, I'm doing it. Like, heck yeah. If they recommended me, you know, I have a good shot. I was so naive. I bombed the interview. I'm talking bombed. It was horrible. So I ended up getting this other job instead, which was the clinical nurse officer in charge of the Department of Primary Care. And it was a um, a clinic of about 80, 85 people. And I directly supervised 30 people, 15 RNs, 15 LPNs, all nurses, all civilians. You know, they're all... Um, I would say every single one of them was probably older than me. I was 27, I think. And, um, you know, first supervisory experience. And, um, you know, that pretty much set me up for success going into command. But on day two of my job as the head nurse in charge, um, I'm sitting at my desk and um, the night before, my um, coworker, my friend, had been um, tragically injured and was literally fighting for her life in the ICU. And um, and she had also covered down for me in the um, for my job while I was at this captain's career course training. And we hadn't had a chance to do any type of handoff, so I'm sitting at my desk, and I'm so stressed out. I'm not only stressed because I'm worried about my friend because she is, I, I'm not joking or elaborating at all. She was seriously fighting for her life, was severely burned, and um, we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know she was going to survive. And so I'm stressed about that. But then I'm stressed about I'm not going to have the answers. I'm not going to know what I'm doing. I'm not, I don't know what meetings I need to go to. I don't know what spreadsheets I need to fill out. I just, I literally don't know if a staff member came to me right now and had a question about an issue, I'm not going to know the answer. And that was a little daunting. And so I had a staff member come to my door and come in and she had tears in her eyes and I made eye contact with her. And it was just kind of like in that moment, I'm like, none of this work stuff matters. Like what matters right now is that I'm here, I'm supporting my team because this is their friend, this is their teammate, this is their coworker who is fighting for their life too. And they are afraid, they are scared, and I need to be there, I need to provide the support and empathy to them because we're all in this together. And they're not going to, they're not going to care um, you know, it's not, it truly doesn't matter that I don't know what spreadsheets I need to do and what meetings I need to go to. So it was like, that was the very first moment that I can truly recall where I realized I have to be empathetic because there were a few people that I encountered in this situation that I worked for, worked with, and they were like right back to business and they were just focused on, okay, we got to get things back up and running. And, um, you know, what my coworker went through and my friend, you know, it was very traumatic and, um, it, 
you really had to have empathy and you had to have compassion towards everyone that was a part of that team because everyone was affected and everyone needed that support. And so it was just like, wow, you know, sometimes you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to, um, you know, just have this face on saying like, you know, I'm the boss and like, you just have to be there. You have to be there and you have to support people. And, um, that was truly the first moment that I realized, okay, I have to lead with empathy. And, um, then, you know, I was in that job for about two years, all of those different experiences that I had leading and developing my people is what set me up for success when I took command. So I don't regret bombing my interview because, um, I needed the experience that I got before I took command because I am sure I would have not done that well. Um, if I would have taken command as soon as I made captain. Um, so looking back, um, having a horrible interview was probably one of the best things that's ever happened to me professionally. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it sounds like you also went through a a very challenging experience that uh, taught you something that I think is critical for leaders, which is being able to zero in on what are the most important details to address uh, in the heat of the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just those real life experiences. I mean, it's just this isn't something you can just learn about. I mean, it's definitely something you can study and you can you can know more about and you can change your behavior, but until you have those thing, those experiences or you're put into that situation and you actually apply those skills of empathy and compassion, I mean, you have to be there and you have to truly be in that moment to, to know what it feels like. And, and then you have that experience to reflect on and then to utilize, you know, when you come into other situations in the future. So, um, it was definitely a challenging experience, but, um, I am thankful that I had the opportunity to, um, be that leader that showed empathy to the people that needed me. Well, Nick and I have talked a lot about the distinctions between leadership and management and some folks who get caught up in those rote activities that they know uh, are requirements of the job and are not able to separate out the distinctions uh, between what is really the critical stuff to, uh, you know, those, those tend to be more management types uh, in my book and that, you know, sometimes we joke and we we say those are folks who know how to major in the minors. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's, uh, it's sort of the inverse of leadership characteristics. It's, it's knowing all of the busy work that needs to be done uh, in a management level job and not necessarily knowing how to distinguish yourself as a leader. So uh, the story you shared was commendable and, uh, and I love how you tied it also to, um, you know, really the, that the experiences set you up uh, for the success uh, that you were then later able to undertake as a company commander. It's so bizarre because when you're living, you know, whatever moment you're in, you don't think how this is going to impact you later and how you're going to learn from this experience. It's not until 
you actually go back and think, wow, like, I can't believe I was in that situation. This is what happened. This is how I reacted, you know, and this is what I did that was great. And this is, you know, it's, it's the army after action review, you know, it's just reflecting on, um, what you did that was good and what you did that was bad and how are we going to, what are we going to sustain? What are we going to improve? But truly as a leader, you have to do that in every interaction, um, throughout your day and throughout your, um, career because we're not perfect. And sometimes we say things that, you know, words have meaning and, um, we might mean one thing and someone takes it another and it's just, there is, there is definitely an art to leadership, but I know that when you put people first and that when you get to know someone and you actually connect with them, that, um, you know, if you say something that might come out the wrong way, it's not going to be as damaging as if you haven't taken the time to get to know that person and connect with them. And then you say something and then they're like, wow, like that was really insensitive, you know, um, because we're all human. We're all going to say things that might not come across the right way or, you know, might be the other person might think they're insensitive. But if we take into that time to connect with those people, you know, I think it's going to be like a lot better recovery in the end. No, I really like that. And miscommunication is so easy in today's day and age with email and everything. It's, you know, you don't get the, the verbal, nonverbal cues in emails and things can get misconstrued very easily. And when you say about empathy, to me, like one of the best qualities of a leader is just caring about your people, like generally caring about them as human beings, um, you know, walking around, getting to know who they are you know, what their hobbies are, you know, maybe who some of their family are and just getting to know them on a personal level. And like you said, when you're leading with empathy like that, then, then people understand when you make a mistake or, or when something comes across, maybe misconstrued, it's, it's not as damaging because they're, they, they know you more on a personal level. So it's, it's great to hear you say that. And I've been saying that for years and I probably said that on this podcast like a million times. So I'm probably tired of me saying it, but but I always say, you know, it's a long time ago. I used to work in the restaurant industry, and uh, a chef of mine told me to walk my shift. And literally, that's what he told me to do. He's like, you walk around. He's like, you talk to everybody. You get to know them, know who they are as people. And he's like, if you take care of the people first, they'll show up for you when you need to when you need them to. As long as you're there for them and you realize that you work for them, not the other way around, then people are more than willing to step up and do anything they need to in a time of need for you. Absolutely. I couldn't even agree more. And you actually, some of the things that you said are from, or, you know, like are things that I talk about in um, the leadership presentation that I put together on, it's called, I named it the hard thing about soft skills leading with empathy and um, I originally was asked to be a keynote speaker at the United States Army Recruiting Command Women's Leadership Forum. It has been since postponed because of COVID-19, which um, is totally understandable. And it was inevitable because the Army has stopped all movement, mm-hmm. um, all travel, all training, everything until May. Um, it hasn't been um, determined yet if um, they're rescheduling or just canceling. The last I heard, they were rescheduling. 
Um, so I'm very hopeful and excited for that opportunity to come up again. But like I kind of mentioned before, um, I'm not one to um, sit on an opportunity or um, just kind of sit back and like, oh, darn, you know, like this isn't going to happen. Um, so once I realized I was going to be doing this, I've actually started seeking out other opportunities because I just think that leading with empathy is so valuable and I can, um, it can relate to any organization, um, any audience of people, because at the end of the day, we're all people. We all need empathy. We all need to have empathy. We all need to, um, I'm sure at, at some point in all of our lives, there's probably been a time where we've needed empathy. And, um, so I've already given my presentation twice the first time I gave it to a group of women at the junior league of Kansas city, which I'm a member of. And that was a phenomenal opportunity. And they actually um, asked me to give it as a training to where all junior league members could attend. And that's going to be getting set up um, probably summer fall timeframe. And then um, I'm previously mentioned that, I'm on the Graceland University Board of Directors, and I gave it as a presentation to all the directors at our last meeting via teleconference. But, um, you know, it's just, I really did so much self-reflection and um, pulled out, you know, just so many different experiences from my career. And I truly molded it into three concepts, um, overarching concepts for my presentation. Um, and then I was just like, wow, like this is crazy that I was able to kind of narrow it down to three things. But if you do these three things, you're going to be, you're going to lead with empathy. You're um, going to be doing the right thing. And now I just feel like I want to share this message anywhere and everywhere that I can. And I have really um, kind of shared a lot of my personal story and professional stories on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And I've made so many valuable connections, um, both in and out of the military. And, um, it's, it's truly been amazing. Um, the opportunities that LinkedIn has. And honestly, when I created my LinkedIn account a year ago, it was just because I was going into recruiting Mm -hmm. and, that was my whole aspect. Now I'm just like LinkedIn is the best. You know, I've, yeah. I've had hey, you so, don't have to sell me on it. Yeah. I've had so many networking opportunities, um, mm-hmm. you know, and so many people that I've connected with that and talked to that I would have never otherwise, you know, came across their path. Um, just like with you, That's yeah, right. with you all. So you know, it's just it's it's crazy. Um, You know, I'm not sure if this presentation will end up happening or not, but I do know that, you know, I've already given this presentation twice and I know I'm going to be doing it again. And, um, it's just a topic. I mean, the army says that one of the core that like one of the values, one of um, the qualities of a leader is empathy, but are we practicing that, um, you know, I, I would say sometimes, um, could we be better almost always? 
And um, it was through my personal experience of needing empathy that I truly realized how important it is to, um, to, to be an empathetic leader. And then that was kind of what um, made me go back on all of the times that I had to show empathy as a leader. And then um, it's just really given me my purpose and passion for empathy. Well, I love your title. And if I can say, this is another thing that Nick and I have probably said a million times on this program. Uh, Soft skills are something that we commonly refer to as essential skills, uh, because we believe so strongly in things like emotional intelligence and empathy and and so much of what you're talking about. So I'm going to put you on the spot, Holly, and I'm hoping that uh, part of your introduction to your, uh, your three key points was a setup for you sharing some of that in a summarized version uh, on this program right now. Is that something that you can do for us? Absolutely. So um, the three key concepts for um, leading with empathy is connection, care, and compassion. And um, we really had talked about, and Nick even pointed out, um, you know, as a leader, you really need to be getting to know your people. You need to get to know their family. You need to get to know their hobbies. And that's actually one of the things that I engage the audience with um, is when I'm talking about connecting, I'm asking, you know, the five closest people that you work with, do you know what their hobbies are? Do you know who their family is? Do you know what they do for fun? Because if you don't know that general information about them, how can you have anything beyond a surface level conversation? You can't like try me because if you don't know that I have, you don't know that I have kids um, and that my weekends are filled with, you know, going to the playground and going to dance class and that kind of thing. Like we're going to, you know, there's just not going to be any um, thing for us to talk about. (laughs) So, um, you know, it's just, Really, the connecting is the first building block because in order to reach empathy, um, you know, which is like the top building block per se, you have to connect with that person first. Um, And then once you've connected with them, then you can actually care about them. And the thing that I discuss in my um, presentation is that when you have connected with someone and you um, understand you know, what their hobbies and and their passions are, then when you actually care about them, you can realize and know what their stressors are. Um, So are they stressed about, um, you know, a medical condition they might have or a family member being ill? Are they going through a divorce? Are they getting married? Do they have a brand new baby at home? They're not sleeping. I mean, there's a million things that people could be stressed about. And, um, you know, somewhat, I would say, I would challenge to say that probably every person is at least stressed about one thing. And I would say that right now in the world, people are stressed a, a lot more um, with, you know, maybe being unemployed, being worried about, um, you know, contracting coronavirus, or maybe they have the coronavirus. You know, there's, there's a lot more stress in the world right now. But we can't understand and know what those stressors are if we don't care. And we can't care about someone if we haven't connected with them. So once you have connected with, um, you know, the people that you work with, the people that you're around in your life, um, then, 
you know, you have that ability and that capacity to care and understand their stressors. Once you've done that, then you can actually have the compassion and provide the support that they need. And if you don't know what their stressors are, how can you know what to what support to provide? So it's just kind of like, um, I just came up with this progression because it just makes sense in my head and hopefully it makes sense to everyone else (laughs) because I've, you know, I've, you know, I've just had different experiences that, you know, okay, like this is where, you know, I had this connection point and this is the care and this is the compassion. And, um, you know, I have, um, a teammate who, um, has a family member that's ill and, um, they care for this family member in their home. And I wouldn't have known that if I didn't take the time to connect with them. I wouldn't have um, known that their stressors um, if I didn't get to know him and his wife and become friends with, you know, friends with the two of them. They have a couple small children and they're also caring for, you know, um, their, their ailing family member, their mother. And, um, so I wouldn't have known these things. And then, um, you know, something that I've done the past several months is like, um, another teammate and I will send them dinner from, you know, we'll just like get them takeout, you know, we'll just say, Hey, we're getting you pizza tonight or pizza in a couple of days. What do you want off this menu? And what time do you want it at your house? And, um, you know, it's, it's honestly like very small. It takes, you know, five, 10 minutes of my time to, um, to call in, place order, do it. But, um, having those three small children and, you know, just the, the time that goes into caring for a family member that's not well, um, you know, I like, because I'm good friends with them, I know how much that means to them and how much, stress that lifts off when we do that. And it's such a small act, but it's those small acts that really go the extra mile. Because if I was just sympathetic, I would just say, Oh, I'm so sorry, you know, that you have to go through that. You know, and I would just send a text message and just say like thoughts and prayers. Um (laughs) which which can be genuine. I'm not I'm not saying that it can't because prayer is a powerful thing. But as a friend and as a teammate, you know, I want to do things that are actionable and that is actually support driven. That's going to be that empathy because empathy is like, you know, like I said, long lasting and, and it, it sticks around. So, um, those are the three main points. Um, well, being tech- technology guys, you know, we, we love frameworks. So, uh, anytime I hear <laughs> someone who is, uh, you know, put together, uh, information in their message and a structure like that, you know, it's, it's very appealing. Uh, I think to, to both of us, I think, you know, for, uh, for any kind of, um, meaning to really, uh, you know, take hold with a message, uh, it's important to break it down into, uh, those simple memorable terms and particularly when you can frame it, uh, in sort of a storytelling progression, the way that you've done. So thank you very much for sharing that. It's, uh, I think it's Mm -hmm. a, a powerful message, not only for leaders, but especially during this time as well. Um, 
Holly, I know we're getting close on time here. Uh, you know, typically we uh, we like to ask about you know books or media or you know is there an artifact that you can share that uh, has helped sort of frame your own uh, leadership progression? Uh, something that you think is uh, worthwhile that uh, that can benefit others? Absolutely. So I want to talk about this book, and then I also want to um, kind of how I tie in. Um, my whole presentation. Actually, do you care if I talk about that first and then I'll go into the book? Because so I open up, um, you know, my presentation with my career experience with empathy and how I've had to show empathy. And, you know, I kind of briefly talked about how now I have had this personal experience with needing empathy, but I didn't really go into um, what happened or why. Um, but my husband and I, we actually, um, we have four children. Um, we have a daughter, Shannon, who is four, a daughter, Penelope, who is two. And then we gave stillbirth um, to my son, Christopher, in September. And then we are expecting another child in July. So um, when I went through my personal experience of giving stillbirth, I was met with all different kinds of support, um, both from friends, family, and a few people that I worked with in the army. Um, but I really, um, what I really experienced was truly understanding and realizing the differences between empathy and sympathy. Cause I did not fully realize and know what the differences were until I was in the position of grieving, having lost my son. And um, I know that um, a lot of the things that people did, there was no ill will. There was no um, malice or ill intent behind the things that they did or said. But I know as a grieving person that desperately needed the empathy and the support, that the things that were being said weren't helpful. And I, um, that's kind of what propelled me into this world of leading with empathy. Um, it's of course taken many months to get here. Um, and, um, it's still a very raw and real topic for me. And I'm still, you know, I'm still like sad about it every day, but through that experience, I realized how important it is to lead with empathy. And I, in particular, had a really good friend, um, Natasha, that I work with, who embodied what empathy is. And um, I get choked up just thinking about it. But um, so right after I, um, you know, this happened, I'm at home. You know, David is still, of course, has his training requirements for work. He had to go out of town for training. And so she came over, she provided dinner, um, helped, you know, brought dinner for me and the girls. And, you know, just like, you know, like I mentioned before, um, when I did it for a friend, like it was no big deal, but to me, it was everything. And it was just what I needed in that moment. Um, and then it was just, you know, continued support, continued checking in, um, continually like being there and, and helping me. Cause it's not just something my world completely stopped Why everyone else's, you know, kept going forward. And she recognized that and, um, you know, 
didn't just act like everything went back to normal, which was, you know, exactly what I needed. And, um, the last thing I want to share about that is just that, um, on Christopher's actual due date, she gave me an angel, um, that, um, was holding a blue heart, which was his birthstone because he was born in September. Wow. And she just, she said, like, I know this day is going to be really hard for you. I just want you to know that I'm here for you. And I also wanted to give this to you, you know, just like as a nice reminder. And so it's just kind of like, besides my husband, she was the only person that recognized that day. Um, and she knew, you know, um, she had that emotional intelligence. She had that empathy to realize that that was going to be a milestone that I had to, that I had to cross. And so she went out of her way, you know, to give me a memento, a gift to, um, you know, to share on that. And so it's just, um, through my professional, personal experience and then seeing how empathy can be so perfectly done and how it truly has such an impact on the person receiving it. That is exactly why it's become such like, it's become my passion and, um, just moving forward. Um, you know, I'm proud of everything that I've done, um, up until this point, but moving forward, I'm going to make sure that, um, I continue to live it out loud and that's who I am as a leader. And that kind of feeds into, um, the book that I recommend and that is the way of the shepherd. And it is honestly the best leadership book that I've ever read. And, um, it basically is a, it's a leadership parable and it, it, um, compares being a leader to a shepherd caring for a sheep and, um, a shepherd gets to know each sheep one at a time. They check over their flock every day. So if they know, if they notice something that's wrong, they're going to notice right away because they've already taken that time and invested getting to know their sheep. And that's exact, exactly what you have to do as a leader. You have to get to know your people one person at a time, truly get to know them. And then when you see them off one day, you'll have um, that sense that something is wrong. You'll know to ask, you'll know what to do, what support to provide. And um, it's, it has seven principles in this book. It's a really quick read. Um, but I actually, um, the first copy that I had, I ended up giving it to my first soldier that commissioned um, when I was in company command, she ended up commissioning a second lieutenant, a medical service corps officer. I got another copy. And now every time um, one of the officers that I work with, I commission, I'm having them sign my second copy. And then I'm, I'm giving them a copy for the, because I basically what I say is, if you follow these principles, the way of the shepherd, you're never going to go wrong as a leader. And wow. that's... That's why, um, you know, this book is so important. And actually, um, the first sergeant that I worked with, um, it was probably day one of command. I walked into his office. We worked right next to each other. And I said, what leadership book do you recommend I read? Because I want to do a great job in company command. He said, there's only one book worth reading. And that's The Way of the Shepherd. And um, he is someone else. Um, I guess he's like an informal mentor. Um, and really good friend, Kevin Genuzio. And, um, honestly, like, um, I took that to heart. I read it right away and he's right. 
I mean, I have lived that and I um, have continued sharing that book, um, you know, ever since because it's made such an impact and it truly ties into caring for your people, knowing them, and then you can do the right thing because you know how to support them. And if you take care of your people, they're going to take care of you. Well, your message is a powerful one. And thank you very much for sharing uh, that very personal experience. Uh, I can tell you, you know, my, my own, uh, experiences with loss and grieving uh you know uh, everyone has them and uh uh i think the uh distinctions that you point out between sympathy and empathy are powerful i i know that uh um I think I I did not receive the level of empathy from some around me when I went through uh, some of my own grieving experiences. And I, I had a friend who uh, lost his wife uh, in a fire. And um, when he and I were able to talk about it, you know, he'd been grieving for about six months and um, he had really kind of cloistered himself away. And when he and I were able to finally directly speak about it, I, I told him in some of my own experience that, you know, you hear the phrase that time heals, right? The loss. And uh, I told him, I, I don't think that's true. I think that you get scarred deeply with these types of losses and time only creates distance and the pain uh, lessens with some of the intensity. And uh, he, uh, he came back about uh, two months later and told me that that was the most important thing that he'd heard from anyone and that it was actually the first step for him to be able to start moving beyond uh, just being stuck in a cycle of grieving. So sharing those types of stories, uh, I, I can tell uh, from how emotional uh, you still make, it still makes you and, and for very clear reasons. Um, but sharing those things, uh, I think it's one of the most powerful gifts that we can give anybody. So thank you very much for uh, being vulnerable in that way on our program. Yes, thank you. No, thank you guys. Um, honestly, that is the best I've ever kept it together when I've talked about those experiences. Um, but it's just kind of, you know, the more that I talk about it, the greater my passion go grows. And, um, you know, I, I will always be sentimental and emotional, um, about this topic just because, you know, it's you, like you said, um, it, it, the, you just get scarred and it's still there. And, um, you know, I can say I'm not grieving every second of every day, but, um, that pain is still there and that love is still there. And, um, you know, the main thing that I do get choked up on is just thinking about the amazing things that others did to support me and how, you know, I feel like I could never repay them, but, you know, it's just, that's why it's so important that we lead with empathy, we lead with compassion, and we take care of our people. Well, there couldn't be a better way to <laughs> bring it close to this episode. So if people are looking for you, Holly, where, where can they find you on the internet? LinkedIn for one. LinkedIn for sure. For sure. I also have a professional Instagram page, um, just at the army nurse. Um, okay. I was actually kind of shocked when I made it that I was the first one you know, that tried to, <laughs> um, 
uh, to make that. So um, definitely LinkedIn, Instagram um, are the ways that people can professionally, um, you know, connect with me. And, and I would love to connect with them on, and the, on those platforms. And we'll be sure to put all your, your information in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you guys so much, Nick, Brian. It was truly a pleasure. Thank you guys for taking time out of your evening to talk with me. No, thank you. Well, thank Captain you. Holly Weaver, thank you so much for being a part of our program. I'm, I'm sure that there's much more that we're going to be hearing from you in the years to come. I guess you'll have to just wait and see. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. Bye. <laughs>